Welcome to the Rebel Speaker Podcast, where we break the tried and true presentation rules so that you can create a speech that stands out, makes an impact, and positions you as the go-to expert. And now your host, the instigator of the presentation rebellion, Dr. Michelle Mazur. Does it ever feel like your mind is working against you? Like your mind isn't your friend. For instance, you're about to step on stage and your brain all of a sudden starts saying to you, who are you to be up here? You've got to be kidding me. Or the moment before you hit send on a big pitch, your brain says, oh, you should really stop kidding yourself. They would never want you as a speaker. The good news is you are not alone. We'd all do this. I do this. But the even better news is that there's something that you can do to remind yourself of who is really in charge of your brain. I'm Dr. Michelle Mazur, the CEO of Communication Rebel, where we help speakers and entrepreneurs get paid with a message that matters to the audience and the people who book speakers. And today on the Rebel Speaker Podcast, we have Rachel Alexandria, and she is going to remind us of how we are really in charge of our brains. So Rachel has been living a life outside the norm since 2008 when spirit came a knocking at her door. After receiving many messages through signs and psychics, she began a journey to understand and integrate her calling as an energy healer and an intuitive, which seems at odds with her graduate degree as a psychotherapist. Since then, she has worked with hundreds of clients as a leadership and power guide. She's an author of two books. One book is about interpersonal conflict, which I highly recommend. And then she has her second book, which is an illustrated guide about how to work with your consciousness titled, Who's in Charge of Your Brain? And it's super, we'll talk about the book, like the illustrations are amazing. (laughs) I really love the stick figures. So welcome, Rachel, to the podcast. Yay, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, me too. I feel like this is a message that speakers really need to hear because as we want to expand our visibility, be seen and share our message, there's a lot of stuff that stops us that has nothing to do with like getting speaking gigs. My first question for you is how do you think our brains get in the way of sharing our message and our expertise on stages? Oh man, you know, <laughs> most of our problems are are generated within our own minds, right? I guess the simplest way to answer that is to say when we're very little kids, we have almost zero inhibition depending on how we were raised unless we were raised in a way that was like, no, shut up, sit down all the time. But in early, early years, we're like, hey, look at this mud pie. You know, I want this over there. I'm going to stand on top of the ladder on the playground and shout, I'm the king of the mountain. Like we don't have all those inner critics and things like that. They just haven't been developed yet. And as we age and we start to learn that things aren't palatable to people around us, or we make mistakes and we feel ashamed, or maybe we even get attacked for things, we start to develop protectors that are like, well, don't do that because someone's going to come after you. Like, don't, no, you can't say that. Don't go that way. Don't be too, you know. And so a lot of us get even direct messages of like, don't get too big for your britches or... (laughs) 
you know, good kids are seen and not heard, we start to develop all these stories in our subconscious, really, of like, good people do these things and bad people don't do those things. I have to make sure I adhere to that stuff or else I'll be rejected from my family and die. That's what our subconscious does. Like Little children are not capable of caring for themselves without their family attending mm-hmm. to them. So we adhere to the behavior that we are taught in order to survive. It's not something we do consciously. It's something we do subconsciously. And so that's uh-huh. what we are dealing with as we are adults without even realizing it is all of these limiting stories and beliefs about what's good and what's not good. And so when you get, it comes time to get on stage, if you have a bunch of messages <laughs> in your subconscious saying, the kids are seen and not heard, or nobody likes a braggart, then what's going to happen? You're going to run up against a lot of fear. You're going to feel like a fraud. Yeah. And I I think there's something to be said about like, we sometimes like it's subconscious. We don't even know that we have these beliefs and these stories that are like playing underneath everything. Like, oh, what you have to say isn't that important. Be quiet. Don't be too much. You know, like all of the, you know, almost like programming that we got when we were little kids, we bring into our adulthood. And as soon as we start to expand and want to be visible, those tapes begin to play and that leads us to self-sabotage. Absolutely. And our inner protectors are like, what are you doing? Don't do that. Oh my God, that's too dangerous. (laughs) Nobody will want you around. You'll get killed. Ah, oh no. Yeah. And I think that brings us to the next question of And I think you're already hinting at it, is why do we place so much importance on what the inner critics are telling us? First of all, again, this is not happening in our conscious awareness most of the time. The work I do is helping people bring their conscious awareness to that so they see what's happening. But the inner critics, their job is to beat us up so that we don't go the wrong way. It's not like we think, hmm, inner critic, that's a good point. I'll do what you say. It's more like, They've got these big whacking sticks and they're chasing our inner children around, the ones who have more freedom and who want, who are just like, but I just want to be able to say what I want to say. And the inner critic's like, no, and starts like trying to beat them up. No, don't do that. Get away. You're bad. So it's not like, oh, I think that's a good idea. I should not do this. It's more like, ah, you know, as soon as I think about doing this big, bold thing, I feel like crap about myself. And so I will shy away from what makes me start thinking terrible things about myself. We shy Mm -hmm. away from things that make us feel ashamed, essentially. And the inner critic's job is to shame us, to keep us from doing things that they see as dangerous based on those old stories from our childhood. And it sounds like the inner critic in some ways comes from this good place, right? Like, I don't want you to die. I don't want you to be rejected. I don't want you to feel pain. So I'm going to protect you by beating you up verbally. Yeah, pretty much. And you might see that behavior in actual people. A lot of times that that's actually literally happening with our parents. Mm-hmm. You know, when they say don't get too big for your britches, they don't mean you're not worth it. I mean, most parents, decent parents don't mean you're not worth anything. They mean, I don't want you to be a selfish jerk and not have any friends. So mm-hmm. be careful. They just don't phrase it that way. But yeah, mostly the inner critics, when you talk to them, when you really kind of get into a calm space and connect with them, they really are trying to help. They just have a job and that's all they know how to do. And so we have to update them and be like, okay, guys, actually helping, not hurt. I mean, hurting, not helping. Yes. Going on here. 
yeah, you're taking me further away from my goal than helping me actually get there. How do you show that inner critic who's really in charge? And I know that's what your book is about, essentially, (laughs) is like, how do you show that inner critic who's like, you can't do that. I'm going to keep you safe. Don't do it. Right, right. (laughs) That you are in charge and it's actually safe for you to take a risk, to make the bold leap. This book takes a lot off of a modality called internal family systems, Mm -hmm. which sometimes gets referred to as parts work, similar to voice dialogue in some ways. And the book kind of tries to simplify the process (laughs) to some degree. (laughs) What you need to do is get into a calmer mindset, a curious, more neutral place, but a caring one, and understand that you're the big one when you get into that space. Like I am the big one and everything else, all the other voices or aspects of me are the little ones. Mm-hmm. I need to help them understand that they are not the drivers of my mental bus. I am the driver of my mental bus. And so when the critics, first of all, even see that there's, because none of our parts usually are aware that they're parts. They're just like, when you have a thought, I want a cookie, no, I shouldn't have a cookie. You're not thinking, oh, those are different aspects of me. Mm-hmm. You know, those are different parts of me with different unique wants. And what is that like? So some of it's kind of like reframing your mindset into understanding that you're the CEO of this inner corporation essentially. I love that. You're the CEO of this inner corporation. You're the boss. Yeah. And so, and, and then you have to help those workers understand that they are not your consciousness, that they are not, that part of you is not Michelle. It's a part of Michelle. It is a cog in the wheel. It is, you know, it's an employee at the corporation. So sometimes even that's a shock to the inner critics. Like, hey, do you know that you're just a part of me? You're not me. And they're like, huh? What? So it's sort of like, it's a weird meta, yeah. John Malkovich kind of experience. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But then from that calm place of helping them understand like, hey, first of all, you're not in charge. I'm in charge. Second of all, usually it's like, how old do you think I am? And they usually think that we're younger. They think that we're kids. Mm -hmm. Helping them understand I'm actually an adult. I have developed a lot more filters and adaptability and capability than I had when I was little, when maybe it was appropriate to shame me for pulling my pants down in public. (laughs) If I want to do that on stage, I'm making a conscious choice and it's part of my speech and it's okay. (laughs) I would not recommend pulling your pants down on stage, but... Well, I mean, if you're like advertising underwear or something, I mean, you know, like just I'm saying, like <laughs> there could be a reason or metaphorically pulling your pants yeah. down to make an audience laugh or something. So when they understand that you're not a child anymore, you know, that you are the CEO, then they start to be like, oh, and when you acknowledge, hey, I know that you're just trying to help. I respect and honor you for that. And the book doesn't go into all of this. This is more the practice. The book is kind of just laying out this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. And in general, you need to let them know who's boss. But yeah, connecting inward and letting them know, like, I respect and honor what you're doing, the intention with which you're doing it. Yeah. They just want to be seen. They want to be respected. And then you say, and I need you to not do it that way anymore. <laughs> and then it's a process of reminding them. Mm-hmm. I still fall into that sometimes. I'll be like, mm, not feeling so great. And then I'm like, wait a minute, am I not feeling so great? Cause I'm being attacked on the inside. And then I sort of look around like, stop it. 
stop it, stop it. Don't, don't be mean to me. And then they're like, whoops, sorry, forgot, you know. <laughs> well, and I think there's a few important things to call out here is that I really love the idea of seeing the inner critic as separate from yourselves because I don't think a lot of people do that. Right. Like, if, you know, they just believe that that voice in their head telling them those things it's them, right? Mm -hmm. like, yeah, they're just like, my brain does yeah, this to me. My brain is doing this. And it's like, no, that's just a part of you. So you can almost separate that thought that is going into in your head from yourself. Mm -hmm. And then when you can separate, you can actually, like I've sometimes named my inner critics, like just, just to help me yeah. separate, like, oh, that's Sally Poopy Pants talking again. Right. Yeah. And then it's easier to go in and have that conversation and show that inner critic a lot of like love. Because I think that's the other thing is that you don't want to be like, I'm bad for having these bad thoughts. Right. <laughs> right. We don't want to do to them what they do to us. You can't change the status of something using the same methodology, right? Yeah. So you can't shame a part into not shaming you. You have to model, which can be a little hard, you know? So that's why it's always useful to really get that sense of like, you, you are trying to help me, aren't you? Mm -hmm. And they're usually like, yeah. Yeah, I am. And so it's like, oh, that's really sweet. Just like you might say to a kid who's trying to wash the floor with apple juice, like, that's sweet, honey. I'm, I'm glad you're trying to help. And let's get you to help in a different way because this isn't actually working. Yeah, like, let's, let's apply your talents in a, another way so that it's actually helpful. You want to get them on board so you're all pulling in the same direction. Exactly. And then it's easier to press send or step on stage or do the Facebook Live or anything that you want to do <laughs> that's going to get you more visibility. So yeah. I think it's such an important mind hack to really see it as outside of yourself, understand those intentions that are good, and then remind them that, hey, I'm in charge and let's find you something else to do. Exactly. The time always goes so quickly. <laughs> this is actually our last question. And this is more of a personal question for me because, you know, I'm the host of the show, so I get to ask these kinds of questions. What I find, and I know other people have this problem, is that I get into a vicious spiral of the inner critic, the negative self-talk, where all of a sudden it's like you just, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning and you just start spiraling like, I don't have any money. I suck. No one's going to care. And it just gets out of control. What's your best tip for really disrupting that negative self-talk cycle? I'm a big fan of having a variety of tools to see what works in the moment. So I use tapping. That's been a thing that I've used to connect with my inner critics, which is also called emotional freedom technique or EFT. That's been a big one. I think another way is meditation. Mm -hmm. You know, more than anything, having the awareness for me is what's useful. Like as soon as I become conscious of the fact that I'm some part of me is beating me up, I have another part who's pretty fierce. She's a pretty fierce defender of me because I just 100% absolutely know without any question that self-shaming is counterproductive and harmful. Yeah. So as soon as I become conscious, like become aware of the fact that it's happening, that part is like, stop it. And she is not to be disobeyed. <laughs> and the inner critics know it too, because we've had enough chats that it's like, you guys know this isn't working. They're like, oh crap. Like they're sort of asleep to the fact that they're 
in their rote behavior. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I have that very fierce part. And what I would say is developing an aspect of yourself that's very fiercely self-loving and will not let someone beat you up. That means that once, for example, if someone's having a hard time disrupting that pattern, if you have that self-loving part that's very fierce, then I think part of it's also a little bit of the meditation practice of like, I'm watching everything you think right now, brain. And as soon as it goes into this negative place, I'm Mm. cutting it off. Just like, no, sort of disrupting that mental habit. And I've sat in a chair before and been like, I refuse to do anything but focus on my breath and tell all y'all in there, calm down. You do not get the microphone. And I've done that in the chair with a client where I've been like, you know, if someone comes in and they're all freaked out and then as a therapist, I'd be like, oh God, I'm supposed to do something and fix this with them and I need to hurry up. I can't do anything from that place, right? So yeah. I'd be like, let's take five minutes and just connect with ourselves. <laughs> and internally, my parts are like, ah! <laughs> and I'd be like, that fiercely loving part is like, we're going to sit here. I don't care if it takes half an hour. We're going to sit here until it's like dad pulling the car over. Yeah. I'm not driving one second further until you stop. And I'm completely calm about that because you are not in charge of me. So it's that really strong boundary. I mean, everyone has to find a way to develop that for themselves. Once you know 100% you believe that negative self-talk is harmful and counterproductive, think of it like taking poison or something, then really taking a firm, unyielding stance. As soon as I become aware of it, I will not allow it. Even though you might be in this automatic cycle, if there's some kind of like touchstone that you can do that makes you go, oh, wait, Mm -hmm. I'm doing this and I need to pull the car over. And take some time and reconnect and remind those parts of myself who are saying these horrible things, I'm the one in charge. You know, for me, I was also thinking like, it can also be helpful to have like a physical touchstone, like tapping can be that touchstone, or I would even say your book could be (laughs) Did I miss my cue? (laughs) I know, I know. Well, it's just one of the things I was thinking about, because what I love about this book, as far as helping with mindset is it's like, it's a very quick read. And so when you feel yourself like beating the crap out of yourself for wanting to step on that stage or send that pitch or share your message in some way, like you can pick up your book and read it in five minutes and be like, okay, that's what's going on. I need to have a talk with my inner critic and then I can get back to taking the action that I want to take. There's a couple pages and I actually have some, (laughs) I have some artwork that people can have too. Like it can be on their wall and stuff like that that takes pieces from the book. There's a page that says, if you feel yucky when you put this belief on, whatever this belief is about yourself and you just sort of are looking at it like, hmm, when I think about myself and think, I'm too big for my britches. Do I feel crappy about myself? Then it's time to let that belief go. Yes. It actually says on the back of the book, like, keep this on your nightstand. And people have told me that they do. Like, there's just something about it that's so reassuring because it's sort of like an external authority for the first time saying, please don't do this. It's actually not good for you, as opposed to the external authorities who are our parents or our teachers or whoever who created, who fed in some of the negative beliefs. This is like, hi, I'm an authority and it's actually, no, don't do that. Yeah. It's good for you. 
It's not good for you. It's not good for like showing up for your life and how you want to show up. So final question, where can people find you online and how can they get a hold of your book? They can find me online at rachelalexandria.com. It's R-A-C-H-E-L, Alexandria, like the city.com. And the book is on the homepage. There's, if you scroll down a little bit, it's right there. So they can buy it there. If you're local to the Pacific Northwest, it's also at Third Place Books in their three locations, and hopefully we'll be coming soon to more bookstores. Yay, that is so awesome. Thank you so much, Rachel, for being on the show because mindset is everything for speakers. And if speakers don't have the right mindset, they're always going to find themselves struggling. And I think it's easy to assign those struggles to outward sources. Like it's hard to get speaking gigs or no one wants to pay attention to this message. But really it's a lot of the inner things that we're saying about ourselves. So now everyone has a hack to yeah. help them deal with their inner critic. So thank you the so more, much. The more that you're your own friend, the easier it is to do whatever you want to do. Awesome. Thank you, Rachel. And everybody remember that the more you're your own friend, the more you can speak. So yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Rebel Speaker Podcast. If you're loving this show, please rate and review it on iTunes. It is the best way for speakers like you to find out about us. And you can learn more about Communication Rebels coaching and consulting services that help business owners and speakers make a bigger impact with their message while building a speaking business on their own terms at drmichellemazur.com. Thank you.